Well, as I was mowing the grass yesterday, I just thought, you know, there should be a time for everything. And this just does not seem to be the right time to be mowing grass here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I thought, what, is this Florida or something? Um, But there's a time for everything. And so this is the time of evaluation, is it not? This is the time in a new year where you start thinking, and we have been thinking, what do we want to do? Who do we want to be? This year, it hits us as we have to focus on trying to write 16, not 15, 16. Uh, Just as we're changing that, how do we change who we're going to be? It is um, always appropriate for us, not just this time of year, but it is a continual reminder of us to ask those questions that pertain to our personal life, our spiritual life our physical life, our marriage life, our financial life, our home life, our business life, right? So let me ask you, uh, just kind of curious, how many of you have actually had a time of reflection and to think about who you want to be this next year? Raise your hand if that has been you. It's pretty much what I thought would be the case. Some of you do. It's good. Some of us are like, well, that's a great theory, if I could just find the time to do it. Well, God's just provided some time for you to do it right here, uh, right now. And so, um, I'm a pastor, and this is a church, and so we are specifically interested in your spiritual well-being and how you are in your life with Christ. And so, what I'd like for us to do is I'm going to just have... Five questions I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'm going to want you to write these questions down. They're going to be put up there. I want you to be thinking about these questions um, because your life has been so busy or you've been sleeping so much that you hadn't had time of reflection yet. Uh, and so maybe the Lord wants you to do exactly that at this time and maybe to write down some observations as it comes to you uh, as we write these out. Uh, so that's what we're going to do today is the diagnosis questions. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, I'd like to talk about uh, the spiritual vitamins, uh, the disciplines that are to be in our life as a follower of Christ. Uh, And then we'll start a new series uh, that will be what I call the truth about. uh, The truth about. And so we're going to look at some uh, truth about who God is, the truth about who man is, truth about who the Holy Spirit is, truth about the work of Christ truth about the church, truth about end times, truth about uh, the devil uh, and demons. Uh, And so we're going to look at a few of these things uh, as what the Bible says, some of of our doctrines, and uh, take a a few weeks to look about what the Bible has to say about specific issues, all right? Uh, And then, Lord willing, we'll be back into a Bible book. But we've been in a Bible book for uh, a while in the book of Acts, and so we're just going to uh, uh, take a, a a little different tact, uh, still teaching the Bible, all right? Don't fear. Uh, that's what I'm committed to do is teaching the Bible. Uh, and so we're going to see what the Bible has to say about certain subjects uh, before we get back into a book. So uh, we have spent much of, much of December uh, looking at Colossians chapter 1 uh, and seeing how it uh, was connected with the Advent, specifically those themes of uh, hope, 
and love and peace and joy. And so we saw how those threads were there in Colossians 1. Uh, and so uh, I thought, well, you know, why change a good thing? Uh, let's look at Colossians 1 again at that prayer uh, and see how it presents for us who we are to be, the spiritual goals of our life. Uh, so Colossians chapter 1, uh, as we are going to read, uh, beginning uh, with verse 9. And so if you'll stand as we read this together, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. I appreciate so much Jose preaching for me last Sunday. I uh, understand he kept the theme of Colossians with chapter 3. Uh, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice that's verse 10 is what's on the front of your bulletin specific prayer for our church that we would be these things may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin you may be seated As Paul is writing out this prayer for a church, the church to be this thing, it's provoked in him by hearing news about the church. Uh, and that's why he says, since the day we heard these things, we've not ceased to pray for you. What did he hear? Well, you go back to verse 4 and you see some of what he heard. He said, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the hope laid up for you in heaven. This is because of the gospel coming into their life. And then verse 8, he's made known, he's talking to uh, about a man, a messenger, has made known to Paul the love in the Spirit. So because he's heard about the love that he had in the Spirit, the love for all the saints, the, the, what they believe about Jesus, the hope they have for him, uh, he prays these things. And so as I read about this, I think, you know, Green Pines, I would love for us to be this. And so Paul's prayer for Colossians has become my prayer for our church, that we would be these things, that we can bear fruit, that we can increase uh, in the knowledge of God and, and increase in being controlled by his will. And so what is it that we want to be based on this, this church of Colossae? So the first question I would have you to ask is something they had. And that's the love of Christ. 2016, are you in love with Christ? Why is that important? Well, what is it to be like Christ? What is our spiritual goal, our life goal, if you will? According to Romans 8, verse 28, verse 31, it says, 28 through verse 31, he says that God is working in us. He has called us. In fact, he's working all things in life together for good. For those who are called according to purpose, for those 
whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's life goal for us is to be like Christ. To be like Christ. And then it goes on and says, if God is for us, who can be against us? I have a lot of encouragement when I think about this, that God wants me to be like Christ, and part of who Christ is is in love with God. A love relationship with God the Father. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, when asked, what is the greatest thing you can do? What is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest thing you can do is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And so, when we think about this, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we in love with Jesus? Do we love him? It's the greatest thing we could ever do. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when I have a life goal, I, I do have a, a goal. I don't know if I really want to call it a resolution. Um, one of the things I've been studying about is how can I be more productive? That's just kind of the thing that I, that's on my heart and mind, my burden. is like, how can I be more productive with my day? Have more things come out that are good things coming out of my day. And, you know, you have those days, you're like, what did I do? Well, that's, I've experienced that quite often. And so one of the things I've done is I, I bought a book. All right, I, I thought, I'm going to get a book, and it's going to be helpful and instructive, and it's got some nice worksheets for me and some resources. It has a little Facebook group that they have questions. I'm like, this is great. But you know, when it's all said and done, I can read this book, I can do the worksheets, I can even have a Facebook group that encourages me in this and asks similar questions, but when it's said and done, I still have to do it. (laughs) I still have to do it, right? And that's where the challenge comes in. And so this is why, when I see this life goal of Romans 8, 28, says that his goal is for me to be conformed to Christ, and then later on it says in that same chapter, God is for us. Who can be against us? I have a lot of encouragement because this life goal of being like Christ has the resources of God himself working in me and through me. In fact, 1 John, I shared this with you uh, previously, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says that when it's all said and done, one thing you know is that you will be like Christ. Christ. (laughs) <laughs> I read that and think, my goodness, does he have any idea of the obstacles that are in my heart that keeps me from being like Christ? And the thing of it is, it doesn't really matter what those obstacles, those hard resistance uh, addictions or belief systems that are in my life that keeps me from being like Christ. God is greater than these things, and he's going to work through those things. I have a lot of encouragement of knowing that when it comes to these life goals, this life goal of being like Christ, God is for me. Who can be against me? And so, uh, be encouraged by this. So, when we ask this question, are you in love with Christ? We have to ask, what is the things that captures our heart? In 2016, for us to be Christ-like, for us to do what Jesus asked us to do, we have to foster and encourage a love for Christ. So how do we do that? How do we get in love with Jesus Christ? In fact, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it has a word of warning. It's the church of Ephesus. And it, church of Ephesus was an amazing church. did a lot of good things. 
But he said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. Repent. Turn from these things and do those things you first did. In fact, he warned him, if you don't return to your first love, I will remove this lampstand from my presence. In other words, the church will be no more. So let me ask us as a church, Green Pines, do we love Jesus? Are we in love with him? How does that happen? I want to direct you to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. One of our life goals begins with our prayer life. How do we pray? How do we pray? Ephesians 3 gives us another good in prayer for us. When it says, he's praying that according to the riches of his glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. Why do I need to have the power of the spirit in my inner being? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. All right? I need the Holy Spirit so I can have the spirit of Christ in me. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. It's an interesting phrase. God's asking that you have strength to even comprehend something. What is so mind-blowing that God's saying, you better be praying that you have strength to comprehend what I'm about to lay on you. All right? What is this? Pray for strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. One of the most significant, powerful ways God has given us to fall in love with Jesus is to understand how great God's love is for us. Do you catch how it's phrased here? It surpasses knowledge. That means you can be an Einstein, you can be off the charts smart, but yet you won't still comprehend how great God's love is for you. Do you know that tells me that I can get into our eternity and I think, okay, it's been 10,000 years and we've been studying the same subject. Really? I mean, after five, year, five hours, you know, I'm pretty exhausted of it. But here in eternity, 10,000 years, and you realize I'm just getting to the surface of God's love for me. It surpasses knowledge. It requires a spiritual development for me to even comprehend how great God's love is for us. So what does that tell me? One of my jobs is to share with you, do you know how much God loves you? Are you aware of what his love is for you? To say, I want to wake up in 2016 and each day learn a little bit more about how God loves me so that at the end of the day, I'm a little bit more in love with who God is. When you go through the end of the day, and you, you might have caught on to the video where you, just, you, you examine your life, you see all the mess-ups and squiggly lines, you color outside the lines, and you color the wrong page entirely, and you just you messed up. Do you understand that all these mistakes and blunders and intentional disobedience and sin against God, it just, when you see the love of Christ, it only confirms more how much God loves you. 
it takes you more onto the grace that God lifted you up to begin with. And that's how God's love works. So don't be discouraged when someone exposes you for your sin. Or you expose yourself to your sin. It only helps you to draw more upon the love that God has for you. So the, the question, are you in love with Jesus? The second question. You notice what he, how he's praying in Colossians chapter 1. He says, you know, I want you to, to give thanks, verse 12, to the Father. Why? Because he's qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, he delivered you from the domain of darkness, transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So this takes me to the third question. Are you, or the second question, are you grateful for the cross? Are you grateful for the cross? In fact, remember there's two things Jesus asked the church to do. We call them ordinances. First one's baptism, all right? Second one, Lord's Supper. As often as you do this, as often as you do this, you're remembering the cross, remembering his death. Why did he ask us to do this continually? To take us back to the cross and learn of the cross and what has been obtained for us so that we will grow in our gratefulness and, gra- and thankfulness to Jesus Christ. Let me just take you to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 9. Considering what Jesus has done for you, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. As we read this, understand this is where we belong. We belong to be pierced. We belong to be crushed. It is our place to be smitten by God and afflicted, stricken. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. It's where we should have been. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his gener- this generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, that should be us. We should be cut off from the land of living. We should be the ones stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked. That should be us. With the rich man is death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. But it pleased the Lord to do this. this to say each day, this is so much better than I deserve. You can say that it's the beginning of the day, You can say this at the end of the day. This day stunk. (laughs) Everything went wrong. But it's so much better than I deserve. The gratitude of the cross. So that 
when days get worse upon worse upon worse, it only lets you know you've not yet reached what you deserve. And so actually, the worst days can actually produce amazing gratitude and understanding what hell could have been, should have been, except for the cross. Are you in love with Jesus? Are you grateful for the cross? The third question, are you excited about the new creation? Or another way of asking that is, are you looking forward to the next life? Are we excited about the new creation? Are we looking forward to our, new, our next life? You remember what Paul heard about the, the church in Colossians? He said, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. I've heard about the love that you have for all the saints. And this all because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have hope in heaven. I've heard about it. Did you know that people can hear about your hope in heaven? Because of how you connect with people here. So are you excited about the new creation? Romans 8 verse 23 says this. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies. Verse 25, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what he do not see, we wait for it with patience. So let me ask you this question. Do we ever make decisions that only make sense because of the new creation that is ahead of you? Can anyone look into the decisions you've made this past year and say, that doesn't make sense unless he believes in heaven? Let that be a challenge to you. Make some decisions that only make sense because you believe in heaven. And that God has a place for you there. Does the online community, your Facebook world, your Twitter page, whatever you do online, if you do something online, your emails, do they see you different in how you post, what you text? All right, some of you are like, Pastor, you're way too virtual for me. All right, do your conversations. Do your conversations reflect the difference that you believe in heaven? It comes out in how we get frustrated, or it comes out and perhaps maybe what we hope in. You see, we're not to settle for the best this world offers. Don't, please, don't settle for the best that this world can offer. Nor do we go in despair at what this world inflicts. You see, it goes both ways. Our hope isn't just in what this world offers, nor are we torn apart because someone come in and shot up kindergartners. What do you mean by that? It's what this world does. And we're just coming to face with what this world does. And it's the world God's put us in. But it's not the world that God has in store for us. Aren't you glad? When we fail to remember where we're headed, we grow unexcited about our future home. Which means 
that we have half-hearted obedience. Half-hearted obedience flows out of having a heart here in this world. Half-hearted obedience. We feel dissatisfied, so we give in to sin. We feel trapped by life, so we seek some kind of freedom in immorality. Because we've forgotten what real freedom lies ahead of us. We experience suffering, so we grow in bitterness. Because we've forgotten that real glory lies ahead of us. You see, this hope in heaven has drastic effects on how you deal with people, world events, disappointments, and passing pleasures. So, let me ask you, are you excited about the new creation? It is because the Colossians church had a hope laid up for them in heaven that allowed them to love the saints because of that. Which takes us to the next question. Are you committed to God's people? Are you committed to God's people? You notice how he says, I've heard about your love for the saints. That's a prayer a thankfulness that they've had? Do we have that, church? Do you have that? Do I have that? Are you committed to God's people? In John 15, verse 9 through 11, Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Isn't it interesting? Your joy can have a fullness to it. But it's dependent on what you do with his commandments and how you treat others. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 14 and 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for I, all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. So he says, if you're going to follow me, I, I'm asking that you love one another. So, at the least, that's a commitment to God's people, right? To love someone is to put the needs of someone else above your own. To be committed to that. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 16 kind of fleshes this out a little bit. It says, let love be genuine. And as we read this, I want you to understand this is what Jesus is, what he does. He's genuine in his love. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be firm in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the love lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So when you ask yourself, am I committed to God's people? This kind of gives us the measure of what that looks like. For some of you, it might be just to say, I will commit to God's people in whatever church God calls you to. Do it. You see, what God has called us to is much more than just a public commitment. He's called us to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. 
And how that's Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and then verses 9 through 16 shows us what that looks like. It looks like loving people, being committed to them. So when he says being a living sacrifice, for us as a church to ask, if you want to be a part of a church, just be committed to us, publicly demonstrate that is a small thing compared to what Jesus is calling us to do, of saying, I'm going to be as a living sacrifice to one another. For some of you, you may have made that commitment, but you're not making it real. It's not real just because you're sitting here at this time of the day, each day of the week. It's nice to be able to sit with someone and look at the same direction and hear the same music, but honestly, you can do that in an elevator with someone else, can't you? (laughs) This isn't one big elevator. There's got to be a difference here. Some of you are like, man, I've got to sit uncomfortably comfortable with someone like you would in an elevator. What's the difference between what you're doing right now and, and being in an elevator with somebody? There is an engagement that you have with one another. And so we provide opportunities, classes, ministry projects, things we do together to engage with one another. And our goal is to impact the community when they see a body relationship of people working with one another with Christ at the center. So are you committed to God's people? And then the last question Are you pursuing godliness? Are you pursuing godliness? That that is to be like Christ, to look at life from the perspective of God, to value what He values, so it it marks His character. And so this is said in, in Colossians when He says, I want you to be filled with God's will, fully pleasing to Him, walking away men are worthy of the lord all right so he's making that a prayer let's make that our prayer god help me to pursue god least god will you let me walk in a way let me live in a way that's pleasing to you worthy of you second peter chapter one verse four through th- through eight is i think a very encouraging verse in this passage it says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness I just want to stop there for a second. You consider that? Let me read that again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means no matter what circumstances you're in, you have everything needed by God to live godly. Some people say, well, it's hard. Everyone around me is not a believer. Okay. How is that different than any generation of the church? How is that different from fathers and mothers who have gone before you? We live in a world where we have to depend on the promises of God. His divine power. So let me keep reading. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, are unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, if you keep on reading in verse 9 and 10, it talks about how those who did not do these things forget that they've even been saved. 
when I see folks struggling with the assurance of salvation, I read 2 Peter and it lets me know it's because they've not been pursuing God and godliness. Because it tells us very clearly that if you're pursuing God and godliness, it helps you to be fruitful. If you don't, then you forget even that you've been forgiven, i.e., you question your salvation. So let me ask you this question. Are you pursuing godliness? Are you committed to God's people? Are you excited about the new creation, the things to come? Are you grateful for the cross? And are you in love with Jesus? I'm going to take a little bit of time for us to look at those questions you've written out. Let's just talk to God about it. If you pray with me. So God, we just want to first... Acknowledge and surrender to your life goal for us. Lord, our resolutions, our goals, what you said, that we will be like you, like your son Jesus Christ, that when you see us, you can see your son in spirit and in truth. Lord, to be people who love you and love your son Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul and strength and mind. To be eternally and thoroughly grateful and thankful every day of our life. And that as each day grows, of 2016 comes and goes, that we will only grow increasing in gratitude. To be joyful, hopeful, hopeful people, excited about your new creation. That will be our anchor in times of despair and be our sobering reality in times of prosperity. To be people of love to one another, committed to each other, recognizing our need for one another, using our gifts and abilities and times that you give us to bless and surprise each other. To be people driven, passionate, never flagging in our pursuit of you and the way you do things, Lord, the way you value things. That come what may, whatever restrictions and handicaps may come, as is inevitable with each passing year, that it never will handicap our pursuit of you, but instead only will be used by you to drive us to you. And Father, as we examine and ask these questions, we see our inadequacy, our failings, how we are not always in love with you. We're not always thankful, but entitled. We're not always excited about what you're going to do because the world is much with us 
or we're in despair. Father, that we're not always committed to your people, that in many times we're just flat out frustrated and tired and angry with them. And we're not always pursuing your godliness. So Father, as we have taken a sobered view of ourselves now, we thank you that as we've colored our pages of our life, seen we have colored outside the lines not straight missed the paper on the wrong page you still are doing something and that with you there is forgiveness there's mercy grace more than enough more than enough for our stubborn hearts Soften our hearts, Lord, so that in 2016, we become more like you. We pray this in your name.